Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. Ancient Athens was the cultural, scientific, and philosophical center of the earth. And at its center was the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, where all the great thinkers of the day whiled away their time with new thoughts and enticing notions. They even had a statue erected to the unknown god. The Apostle Paul chose such a spot to declare to these learned but spiritually blinded men that the God that was unknown to them was not only known to Paul and by Paul, but could also be known by them. Stay tuned for a remarkable and fascinating life study of the Bible with Witness Lee. This is a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry, and it features recorded excerpts from the spoken ministry of Witness Lee, who together with Watchman Nee served the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Christ in mainland China in the 1920s and 30s. Dick Taylor is with us once again today as we look into Acts chapter 17. Welcome back, Dick. We really have a gem of a life study before us today. Chapter 17 is one of those most interesting portions of the Holy Word, isn't it? It sure is. But Paul never ceases to keep preaching this resurrected Christ no matter what the circumstance. Oh, we've seen that over and over again. It was hard to derail, Brother Paul. He was very much set on this one thing. He sure was. Dick, I'd like to read a couple of verses that we touched in our program yesterday in Acts chapter 17, and these are verses 22 and 23. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that in every way you very much revere your deities. For while I was passing through and carefully observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. What therefore you worship without knowing, this I announce to you. Dick, this is very fascinating. As this took place in Athens, which was the renowned place of culture, science, and philosophy. And of course, we still associate Athens with great thinkers. Uh, Socrates and Aristotle and Plato, among others. And now Paul is speaking to these Greek philosophers and the cultural elite, and in their midst were these idols and man-made articles of worship. This was just an indication of man's emptiness and his overwhelming need to worship something. I would like to get your comments on this before we get into today's message, Dick. Isn't it interesting, Chris, in verse 16, while Paul was speaking to these philosophical people, he says, he beheld the city that was full of idols. And then in 18, it says, they were after him, wanting to hear him. It says, he seems to be an announcer of foreign deities because he was announcing Jesus and the resurrection as the gospel. Paul was certainly standing against all their philosophy and all their idol worship and clearly announcing Jesus and the resurrection as the gospel. I really appreciate again, uh, Brother Chris, this recovery version of the New Testament with verse 16, there is a wonderful footnote. 
16.2 says, Even the highest culture did not prevent these people from worshiping idols. Within them, as within all mankind, was a God-worshiping spirit created by God for man to seek and worship him. However, because of their blindness and ignorance, they took the wrong objects for their worship. Now, the very true God, who created the universe and them, sent his apostle to announce the true object whom they should worship. Paul never was derailed from his central point, and that is the true God is the very Christ who is living, and he never ceased to preach this Christ as the resurrected and living one whom they could know, but they called him the unknown God. So Paul's preaching was to make the unknown God known. Dick, this is very much a fascinating chapter, particularly to see that even these most cultured, most educated, really the upper, upper crust, still had this inner urging to worship. That's true. This is absolute proof. There is a spirit in man, isn't there? Amen. That's the proof. Let's join Witness Lee with today's life study. Chapter 17 shows how prevailing was the preaching of the Apostle Paul. He's preaching near Stirrup, the city. Paul stood in the midst of the Apocalypse and said, Men, Athenians, I observe how in everything you are very religious. It doesn't mean religious in the proper God. It means religious nearly in idol worship. You are very religious in worshiping the idols. This is the right meaning. For while I was passing through and carefully observing objects of your worship, the gods of your worship, I found also an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown god. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I announce to you. You don't know, but I know. He was unknown to you, but he was familiar to me. Let me tell you, the God who made the world and all the things in it, this word is mainly directed to the Epicureans because the Epicureans all are atheists. They didn't believe any God. This word of the Apostle is a strong word spoken to the Epicureans. This one being Lord of heaven and earth. And this one does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needs anything. Since he himself gives to all life, bread, and all things, these are the divine provisions. God provides life, bread, and all things that man can live on. But this is good preaching. When he was reasoning with the Jews in the synagogues, he used the scriptures. When he was preaching to the philosophical Epicureans, he used the creation. Then he went on. And he made from one every nation of men. This one, no doubt, was Adam. He made 
every nation of men from Adam to dwell on all the face of the earth, determining their appointed seasons and the boundaries of their dwelling. I like this verse. That they might see God. God was so sovereign over the entire earth. God not only created all the nations out of one ancestor, that was Adam, but God determined the time to live in and the place to live on. So the time, the seasons and boundaries of all the nations are up to God. I tell you, Paul's preaching here was more than philosophical. From the creation of the heavens and the earth, from God's provision to all mankind, Paul came to the existence of humankind. We have to learn the way to preach. We may use the creation, yet don't just dwell there. You have to go on from the creation to man's life. When you come to man's life, you come to the very spot of man's need. Well, Dick, we've talked before about the kind of vessel that Paul was and how he was the one that really was uniquely qualified to carry the gospel to all the parts of the civilized world at this time. He was fully trained in the Jewish religion, in Greek culture, even Roman politics. And we're seeing how his education in this culture was so useful. We talked about this earlier. But we can't help but be impressed in this sharing of Witness Lee's that the real and true qualification of Paul is that he was a person that was constituted with the Holy Spirit and with the Spirit of Jesus. What is this constitution, and how do we get so constituted? Well, it's true. He spoke what he was. What he was in his person is exactly what came out of his mouth. He was constituted with Christ as the very life-giving Spirit. In this wonderful Spirit is all that God is, all that Christ is, all that Christ has accomplished, all his precious work in incarnation, human living, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and even his present indwelling. Everything we need is now in this wonderful spirit. Paul was constituted with this Christ as the very spirit. And so when he spoke nothing but Christ as the spirit came out of him to others, he just spoke Christ into his audience. I hope uh, even as you're listening and, and along with myself, we would all desire to follow this kind of pattern. And I'm so grateful that we could be under the hearing of this ministry, even here on the radio, which constitutes us so that when we speak, what comes out of us is just Christ. How can we be constituted in such a way? Chris, I was thinking of Second Corinthians, which is a book on constitution. Chapter 3, verse 16, Paul said, Whenever our heart turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. Verse 17, And the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. And verse 18, When we're beholding and reflecting with an unveiled face, we're being transformed 
into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord's Spirit. Dick, I have to offer a word on behalf of our brother Ed Marks. I know if Ed were here right now, because he says this almost every broadcast that he's involved with, Lord Jesus, I love you. As we turn our hearts to him, just to utter those words helps us so much to be enjoying this unveiled face of Christ. This is such a practical key in addition to calling on the Lord and to helping us obtain this kind of constitution far better than any knowledge, even spiritual, biblical knowledge that we could gain. This is the key. Coming up, Witness Lee is going to speak a little more regarding the content of Paul's work. Let's rejoin him. In verse 26 and 27, he came to man's life. In verse 27, he said that they might seek God, and perhaps they might grope. (laughs) They might grope for him and find him, though he is surely not far from each one of us. By what way God could be not far from each one of the mankind? By being a spirit. And this spirit must be omnipresent. Again, I like to talk about Trinity. Do you believe that this omnipresent spirit is triune? Be careful. You will offend the traditional theology. This very God who is not far from us surely is the omnipresent spirit. And this spirit, the complete God, the whole God, the entire God, the very triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Okay, not far from us, for in him we live. For in him we live and move and are. Even as some poets among you have said, for we also are his offspring. That means all the Epicureans and unbelievers were God's descendants. Being then the offspring of God, this means all the mankind are the offspring of God. We are not to suppose that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an engraved work of art and thought of man. The idols are the works of the art of man and are of something of the thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now charged all men everywhere to repent, because he has set a day in which he is about to judge the inhabited earth in righteousness by a man whom he has designated, having finished proof to all by raising him from among the dead. Paul was fully constituted with this man's resurrection because he was led, he was guided, he was directed absolutely under by and with this spirit of Jesus. Regardless of what he picked up to talk about, eventually his goal is to reach this man and to reach this man's resurrection. 
Paul did a prevailing work. Dick, Paul uses another very interesting element in his preaching to those people on Mars Hill. He connects the resurrection of Christ to his coming back to set in judgment of both the living and the dead. And this seemed to be very effective in touching these people. Uh, This should be a good lesson for us, I think, on how to touch people with the gospel, even those who may be steeped in culture and in man's religion. That is really true, Chris. I I like that verse you referred to, verse 31 of 17, because he has set a day in which he is to judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has designated, having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. You can see this kind of preaching saturated and uh, permeated Peter and Paul. I was thinking of Acts 10, Chris. Verse 40 says, This one God raised on the third day, and he has made him manifest. And 42, He has charged us to proclaim to the people, solemnly testify that this is the one who was designated by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Both Paul and Peter strongly emphasized this resurrected and living Christ. And the resurrection of Christ is the proof and the assurance and the guarantee that he will come back to judge this earth. He will judge both the dead and the living. So Paul was charging all these philosophical idol worshipers, you must repent. This unknown God is Jesus Christ, who's been raised from the dead, and the fact that he's been raised is proof, assurance, and a guarantee that he's coming again and that every single one of us will be judged. You're able to know him. You're hearing the gospel right now. Repent and receive this resurrected and living Christ. Boy, Dick, there's something about this kind of word related to the righteous Christ sitting in judgment. It can't help but touch you deeply in your heart and in your conscience. And even people who may be somewhat self-elevated by, by virtue of their education or their cultural or class standing, they're affected by this kind of word. We really need more of this in our gospel preaching today, don't you think? We really do. And I know personally, Chris, even today when I was on a university campus, just talking to individuals, I realize every time I'm always brought to this point. In sharing Christ with others, we must share that he was the designated one by God through his resurrection. And his resurrection is not only the indicator that we need to receive him, but also the indicator and the proof that he's coming back, and we better sober up. we got to repent, turn to him, and call on his name. Well, Dick, I'd like to stay at this point, but we have another very short section remaining of Witness Lee. Let's go back to him, and then we'll return for our last fellowship. Now we have to go back about this matter of all mankind being God's offspring, living, moving, and have their being in God. By carefully studying the Bible, we could see God created man. In Genesis Chapter 2, when God used the dust to form a physical body for man, and God breathed into that body the breath of life. It was that breath of life that made that physical body alive. 
Then it became a soul. There, you do have some indication that the human life came out of God. In this sense, you may say, man was not only created by God but produced by God. In the Bible, it tells us further that after we repent, we believe in the Lord Jesus. We are born of God. To be produced of God is one thing. To be born of God is another thing. Human beings are the offsprings of God in the sense of being produced of God. But we, the believers, are being the sons of God in the sense of being born. There's no indication in the Bible that the offspring of God, the human beings produced of God, have God's divine life. Wait. God's divine nature, but in New Testament, it clearly says we, the believers who have been born of God, do have God's life, and we are the partakers of God's divine nature. So we have to differentiate the two: the offsprings of God and the sons of God. Now, Paul says all the humankind. Are living, moving, and having their being in God. In what sense? In the sense that their human life was produced of God, was from the breath that God breathed into their first father. The human beings, the mankind, being the offspring of God, only have. The breath out of God, so they live, they move, and they have their being in the sins of the breath of God. Dick Paul points these Athenian philosophers to a phrase from their own poetry, acknowledging man as God's offspring. This was very useful to Paul as he presented the gospel to these unbelievers. But we've talked much in past broadcasts about the believers becoming. True, real sons of God—the many brothers of the firstborn Son, Jesus Christ. These are really two different notions or concepts, aren't they? They sure are. There are two words that are very helpful here, and I would say the words are created and regenerated. We are God's offspring, in a general way, by creation. We are God's race and God's offspring by creation, because even Adam in Luke three thirty-eight was called. As a created man, the son of God. This does not mean that he had God's life and he had God's nature, but he was a son of God in the sense of being God's offspring through creation. And so you got to make some distinction here between creation and regeneration. So Paul took advantage of even what the poet said: "We are also his race or God's offspring." And it's in God we live, move, and exist, and have our being. There is such a thing as being a son of God. The unknown God is the God who created us. In this sense, we are God's offspring and God's race by creation. So He applied the gospel to them by 
appealing to them along this line. But yes, this is different from the fact that we are also the many brothers of the firstborn Son of God, Jesus Christ. As the true sons of God, we are not only created by God, but we are regenerated by the divine life. When we believed in Jesus Christ, we received him as the life-giving spirit. And another life came into us other than the life we received from our mom and our dad. By that life and by that nature, we are now children of God. So Paul was speaking to show that by creation we're sons of God, we're God's offspring, but he was bringing them to the point that not only by creation, but also by regeneration through the resurrected and living Christ, they could become the true children of God and really know this unknown God in an inner, living, dynamic way. John 1, 12 and 13 says, when we receive the Lord, we're born of the Lord. That means we've received his life. And John 3:16, which most of us are familiar with, it says, when we believe in him, we have eternal life. So we're not only God's sons by creation in an outward way, but we are even more God's genuine bona fide sons and the brothers of the firstborn son of God by receiving Christ as the divine life. When we receive him, it also tells us in 2 Peter 1.4 that we are partakers of the divine nature. Paul was really speaking strongly to these idol worshipers and these philosophers that they needed to know the unknown God who created them and who was even resurrected from the dead and living and wanted to make them his genuine children, giving them his divine life and his divine nature, being born of God and being his offspring. And uh, even his desire, no doubt, was uh, deep within that all of them could be the children of God, just like in Galatians 4, 6, where it says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So Paul's desire was to preach to them the true God and make known the unknown God, that they would not only be sons by creation, but they would be sons by receiving the living Jesus Christ. Dick, you do have to admire Paul here. His, of course, his education and background, even his familiarity with Greek philosophy and Greek poetry gave him the unique kind of way to be able to present Christ to these people. Perhaps no one else on earth could have done it in such a way. The Lord was so sovereign with our brother Paul. Yes, the Lord really led him. This leads us to a point in the broadcast that he was just so one with the Lord. Even the Lord was his wisdom in the way he presented the gospel to these philosophical idol worshipers. Thank you, Brother Dick. You're welcome. Well, another Life Study message is uh, concluded for today from the book of Acts. Uh, this one is very much one that I would like to recommend that you receive the Life Study message of. Contact us. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 543-3788. Or if you'll write to us at Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or if you'll send us email to radio at lsm.org. For Dick Taylor today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening.
We hope you enjoyed this program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, please visit our website, lsm.org. Again, that's lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.